eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night. It is October 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2020. It is debate night, and of course, on this show, what we should debate is uh, who's going to win the Big Ten. I don't know that that's up for much debate at the moment. Who's going to finish number two in the Big Ten? Where in the world are we going in each division? Where did I just go for a second? Who knows? If you're listening on podcasts, that doesn't make any sense to you. Where are the upsets this Saturday? Because I can tell you, we're picking a number of games tonight. Colin, how many games? Like eight? I think it's the most games that we have picked on the show on a Thursday night. And I got some upsets for you, so stay tuned there. We will also try and improve on our current 56% against the spread mark in the Ramen Noodle Express. We are really proud about that, but there's always room for improvement. So we got five of them for you tonight. And I can tell you, even before the show really starts, I don't think we're done even tonight. So I highly advise you give me a follow on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. There will be, in all likelihood, can't promise you, but in all likelihood, there will be more at least one or two more picks to come before the weekend gets here. So we've got a lot of predictions. We got previews. We got grand season previews for three of the Big Ten teams tonight. And we're going to do all that. Plus, we are going to, as I said, give you out our best bets. If you haven't already, subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. It is going to be a fun night. And to be honest with you, I'm in no hurry because they are holding the actual presidential debate about two or three blocks from my apartment. There is little chance I'm getting back into my parking garage tonight. Black SUVs everywhere today. Guys wearing shades after sunset, talking into their shirt sleeve. You know the deal. So let's just settle in. Let's talk some college football, shall we? Let's dive into it. Also, before we dive in, I wanted to say this. I've put out this call to action uh, pretty much all week. I had a great uh, couple of hours stretch last night of doing some Zoom sessions with a couple of you guys, very loyal viewers. Won't toss out names, but very loyal viewers, uh, longtime listeners who are interested in getting into this field. And there are a ton of you. I hear from you every week. So, you know, I've tried to put out the call to action this week and make sure I catch you on at least one show. If you're interested in that, every now and then I'll just schedule a stretch of Zoom sessions, consultations, whatever in the world you want to call them, and we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. They last about an hour, and we get a lot of Q&A in. It's one-on-one. It's I try and do as many of them as I can. Obviously, you can't do like 15 of them a day. But if you're interested in that, if you're looking to get into this field, joshpate706 at gmail.com. Or you can just DM me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. Now that that's out of the way, let's dive in. We got a whole lot of predictions, a whole lot of previews to get to. Let's start in the SEC I know there is not a marquee game this week. Okay, I understand that we are coming off the heels of Georgia versus Alabama, and that was just a titanic matchup. That was the 8 p.m. primetime CBS game of the year. 
there's a lot of intrigue this week. I want you to pay attention now because these are the kind of weeks normally I make it metaphorical, as I do with pretty much everything on the show at this point. It's not a show without 10 metaphors. To walking towards one of those barns. I grew up in Harris County, Georgia. Barns all over the place. Some of them occupied, some of them empty and, dare I say, haunted. You walk up to one of those barns late at night, you don't necessarily know what's in it, you just know it's no good for you. And these kinds of weeks, you know, the weeks where people say, uh, I may go to the park with you this weekend, babe. I don't really think there's anything happening in college football. Those are the kind of weekends where you check your phone at your picnic or your wedding in the fall, and you look and you say, who beat who? Who's leading who? That's the kind of weekend that we are approaching. I'm going to give you fair warning. Could be in the SEC, could be elsewhere, could be both. But let's talk about these games. South Carolina is headed to LSU. Earlier in the week, LSU was one of our best bets. We backed off that hard. Really, really. I'm about to show you how hard in just a second. LSU is currently anywhere from a six and a half to a seven point favorite, depending on where you look. It is a Saturday, seven o'clock kickoff, Eastern time, of course, on ESPN. If you're in the storyline crowd, if storylines are your flavor instead of just X's and O's, blocking and tackling, pass catching, this is the game for you. Not only is it still Cocktober, which means anything's possible for South Carolina. We understand that. We all own a calendar. But you've got NCAA sanctions looming for LSU. You've got Ed Orgeron doing all sorts of unsavory things off the field this week and being photographed while doing so. And that's about as far as I'll go on that. You've got Backup quarterbacks starting for LSU. Multiple backup quarterbacks are going to play Saturday. You've got a defense that is still very much in a state of, shall we say, flux, for lack of another more strong term. And then, all the while, you got South Carolina, who just kind of casually in must-win mode has put two wins together, and here they come as nearly a touchdown underdog. TJ Finley, according to our folks over at Go247 earlier today, that's the guy who's probably going to start at quarterback for LSU. Raw would probably be, a talented but raw would probably be the best way to describe him. And I'm looking at this thing, I really feel uneasy. The harder I looked at it, the more uneasy I felt for LSU. South Carolina is not a great defensive team. There are very few great defensive teams in the SEC this year, but I'll tell you what they can do. They have shown the propensity to force turnovers. Now, you would think in a normal year, well, big deal. This is LSU, okay? Just use any of half a dozen premier backs and just lean on them in the ground game. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Probably not going to happen. Probably not going to happen. Hasn't happened so far this year. Uh, This is a bad third down team. Either way you slice it for LSU, pick a side of the ball. This is not a great third down team. Good distracted teams find ways to get out of these sorts of games. If you're a good team, but you have distractions like LSU's head off the field this week, if you're a great team and you have distractions, and you still find a way to win, LSU's not a good team right now. So this is a fairly poor team with backup quarterbacks playing and a lot of off-field distractions, up to and including the coaching staff this week. I think South Carolina is going to win the game. Not only do I think they're going to cover, I think October rolls on, and I think South Carolina wins the game. Now, where I don't expect an upset is in Knoxville Saturday. The 3.30 Eastern Time CBS Game of the Week, Alabama, is currently a 21-point favorite over the suddenly struggling Tennessee Volunteers, I think everything about both of these teams' game plans involves shortening as much as possible. They would love to have this thing over in the amount of time normally a couple of service academies playing against each other would see a game over. You know, nice, nice, solid three-hour game. Let's get out of here. Toss it to the studio where they got to fill 45 minutes until the late kick start. Late kicks, not late kick, of course. Tennessee, 
I think, should have decent success running the ball in this game. Decent success. I think that's reasonable to expect against Alabama. However, when you watched, Colin's showing it to you right now, when you watched the way that Alabama ended the Georgia game last week, Nick Saban had to take Cedric, who normally carries his cup of water around, he probably had to have Cedric go get him a towel so he could wipe his mouth. He had to be drooling. When he watched the way they held the ball for the final six minutes and change of the game, when he watched the ability of that offensive line to surge against one of, if not the best defensive fronts in the conference, fall forward for Najee Harris over 150 yards on the ground, that's the kind of second half they would love to see here. It may not mean another 50 points put on the board, the likes of which they had against Texas A&M, but it would mean a comfortable victory. So what do you see from Tennessee? Who starts at quarterback for Tennessee? I've heard Jeremy Pruitt this week talking about injury being a situation that he's dealing with at quarterback. Now, there are some there's some speculative kind of trains of thought out there that, hey, maybe he's building himself a trap door to not start Garantano, but save face for Garantano, and that's the reason he didn't start, because he's hurt. I don't know that. I don't really know that Jeremy Pruitt has thought too deeply about this. I just think he wants to know who gives him the best chance to win the game. Now, selfishly, I want to see Harrison Bailey. I've made that point loud and clear this week, so we'll see. But focus and physicality, if it's not there, uh, Tennessee doesn't have much of a shot here. So that Bama defense, you know, one thing I'll watch in the second half before we move on from this game is I told you the blueprint for them ultimately winning a national championship. It's not going to be rock-solid defense. I don't think they're capable of playing that at any point this year. But an opportunistic defense, one that forces turnovers, that's a theme that you want to see continue. A lot of people believe turnovers aren't predictable week to week. That's true. But a team that's good and adept at forcing turnovers and being in the right place and contesting balls and batting balls, getting in passing lanes, affecting the quarterback, that kind of stuff does translate. And maybe you know the turnover number is in flux week to week. So I'm going to take Alabama to win. And I never like that number in the 18 to 24 point range. Like if I'm going to take Alabama to win but not cover, I like that thing to be up north of 24 points. Because I don't ever see them let off the gas at a 21 point lead is what I'm saying. 28 point lead, they react a lot different. So I'll take Alabama to win. I'll take Alabama to cover. Here's one that I think I've identified a little bit of a mismatch on. think the number's too low. Auburn minus three at Ole Miss. It's an early kick, so we'll know very, very quickly on Saturday. It's noon Eastern time. It's on SEC Network. This game feels a lot like Oklahoma-Texas. Remember that a couple of weeks ago where we talked about it and we were all looking forward to watching it, but yet we said, how could anyone think they could predict this game? Why do I say that? Well, the number nine. Last week, Bo Nix, quarterback for Auburn, Matt Corral, quarterback for Ole Miss, combined to throw nine turnovers. Friends, I didn't say that's what they have totaled this year. I said last week. That's what they combine to throw. So when you throw that amount of turnovers, the potential for that amount of turnovers, any kind of valid prediction, any kind of predictability kind of goes out the window, doesn't it? Well, we'll see. Here's what I think we're going to see from Auburn. This is just a hunch, knowing Gus Malzahn and having followed him for a long time. I think he's taken a fistful of that play calling duty and that overall offensive responsibility back and putting it on his plate this week. And I think that he and pretty much everyone else who has watched this offense, one of the few bright spots has been a true freshman, Tank Bigsby. I think they'll ride him. I think they'll ride him hard this week. Ole Miss does not have exactly an impenetrable defense up front. You want a low variance. You want to limit their possessions. 
It's not complicated. Malzahn's always been at his best. When the run game leads the way, uh, Chad Morris came in. You're going to throw the ball more. We're going to revolutionize our passing game. No, you're not. You're just going to throw the ball to the other team. I wanted to see it just as bad as you guys did. It's not working out. So at this point, season's on the line for them. Season is very much on the line. There's a lot of stuff going on down there behind the scenes at Auburn. They need a win in the worst way. So third down this game, I think Auburn will perform. This is, again, just a hunch. I think third down offensively will be much better percentage-wise, conversion-wise in this game than their season average has been. And because of that, I think Auburn's going to be able to tilt this game in the second half and control it a whole lot more because game control has not been their thing this year. I like them enough in the secondary. I'm going to take Auburn to win. I'm going to take Auburn to cover. This is a game that we may actually make a move on closer to kickoff in terms of one of those official plays, one of our best bets. As for now, we're just picking Auburn to win and cover and leave it at that. And the last one is Kentucky, minus five and a half. That's right, road favorite Cats at Missouri. I think Missouri is undervalued right now. I think they're very undervalued. They, I thought, went a long way in finding their offensive rhythm and even their offensive identity coming out of that Tennessee game. That's when they played LSU. You may say, well, Josh, everyone finds their offensive rhythm against LSU. Like Harris County High School probably stand a half-decent chance of hanging 28 on them. Yeah, I can't disagree. But the point is, Connor Bazelak uh, is now and probably always was the right quarterback for this team. So having said that, they were supposed to play last week. They didn't. It was uh, due to another team's COVID situation. So they had a bye week that they didn't expect. I really expect Missouri to play a solid game Saturday. Kentucky has forced a ton of turnovers. If you have some formula, if you have some magic elixir that you pour into this potion and it, it kind of spits out a projection that lets you know that's going to continue, I'd pick Kentucky in a heartbeat. I love what they've done on defense just as much as you guys have. But I think some of that is random, some of it's skill, some of it's forced. I, I had a big argument earlier this week about that. Like, you're not giving Kentucky any credit. How much more credit can I give them? Uh, they, they forced turnovers. They won in convincing fashion against Tennessee. But they're also in a back-to-back -back road spot in a very much due-down spot after having won at Tennessee uh, for the first time since 17 what? 1738, 40? I don't know. It's a long time ago, though. So I think Missouri finds some things this week. And not only will I take them to cover, I think Missouri is going to also pull a mild point spread upset. I think Missouri is going to beat Kentucky outright too. So someone's going to look like an idiot in the SEC this week. It may be us, it may not, but I do expect some upsets on the field Saturday in the SEC. Let's do some grand season previews. The Big Ten season is upon us. I've waited so long to talk about this. We had... All of our Big Ten stuff lined up. We were ready to dish some season previews out. And then Kevin Warren said, season's canceled. We will not revisit this decision. In related news, the Big Ten season kicks off tomorrow night. Here we are in October. So let's talk about this. And we're going to go with a few programs here, or we're not going to spend 15 minutes on any one of them. Ohio State grand season preview. Many doubts, many doubts I had about the Big Ten when it looked like everything was in a state of limbo and if they do come back, if they don't come back. And here's what it felt like. What it felt like is you're training and training and dieting and lifting and getting ready to participate in the Mr. Olympia competition. But then all of a sudden they call you and they say, your spot's been taken. Sorry, your spot's been taken. Well, the first thing you'd probably do is get depressed and go to Burger King and get a double Whopper. And then you go get a milkshake the next day and you just kind of let yourself go because everything you had been killing yourself training for has been taken away from you. 
But then, a couple of weeks later, the Mr. Olympia folks call you and they say, wait a second, wait a second, we made an error. We have room for you after all. Competition's two weeks away. Can you still make it out here? Well, on one hand, you'd be excited because you get to compete. Your whole year revolved around it. But on the other hand, uh-oh, my body fat percentage is up near double digits right now. What am I going to look like? Well, what am I saying all this for? I'm saying all this because Ohio State, they never stop dieting. They, they never stop training. They're like a caged animal. I, it's palpable. You can feel it coming out of Columbus. They just flat out felt like they took themselves more seriously over this whole ordeal than pretty much everyone else in the Big Ten. I may be wrong about I'm not wrong about Ohio State. Maybe I'm wrong that more folks didn't take it more seriously. But Ohio State, straight up caged animal right now. So we begin the hashtag prayers for Nebraska campaign right now. But this isn't a game preview. We'll do that in a second. Areas of focus, a couple of them here. Secondary is first and foremost on everyone's mind in Buckeye Nation, mine too. Sean Wade, when he opted back in, that was massive. Because that is one pillar that you can put in that secondary. And then you can build off that and you got an alpha in the secondary too. And every, everything else can revolve around that. But the production, I think it's very reasonable to expect, will regress somewhat. It's, to what degree does it regress? And also, week over week, do you continue to see improvement? Or is it just a unit that ooh, looks a little in over their skis? They won't lack talent. I think that's obvious at any position group we're talking about. Second thing is just pull-away ability. We can start in week one. They're favored by 26 against Nebraska. Now, normally, Ohio State would just need to win. But you know what the dynamic is here. They're playing less games than the big boys in the SEC and whatnot, Clemson. And so they probably need to win and win definitively just to remove any doubt. And unlike most years where fans who you know want you to cover the spread worry about that, this is a year where that coaching staff has to actually be cognizant of that. The third area of focus, offensive line and defensive line. Does it validate the recruiting efforts? Their recruiting efforts have been top-notch. I never freak out about these numbers of returning starters that are thrown around or lack thereof for programs like Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson now, I don't freak out about it because I know what kind of depth they have. I know how they recruit. If you follow recruiting every year, that shouldn't freak you out. Half the time, the guy who's replacing the starter ends up being better than the starter. So role players become every down players. You've got freshmen, redshirt freshmen, sophomores who end up becoming role players. Everyone just bumps up the ladder one rung. They think they're going to be incredibly good on the offensive line. You may not know the names yet. They do. You may not. I think you will at the end of the year. I have very few concerns about their offensive line. Defensive line and pretty much every level of that defense outside of probably linebacker I got my eye on, but uh, those are some areas of focus. Now questions, tie it right back into the defense. What is the starting point there? What's the entry point? Because there, as I said, there are questions about new faces up front Questions, you know, when you're replacing the likes of Chase Young and whatnot, there are questions about your ability to consistently generate a pass rush. Yes, linebacker, I think, is pretty obviously the strength and the core of that defense, at least to start the season. Been a little while since we said that about Ohio State, by the way. But here's the thing. When they start the year, are there times where, even against Nebraska, are there times where, even in a win, the secondary looks lost? Or is it one of those deals where, you know, you can see rapid week-over-week -week improvement? Ohio State is going to win games, and they're going to win a lot of them. But sometimes you got teams that are so talented, they're winning, even in spite of some flaws. 
And those flaws won't matter against, let's say, Nebraska. But you start seeing things sometimes in teams when they're playing inferior competition that you just kind of keep in the back of your mind. That's a red flag. That's a crack in the dam, so to speak. And it would matter down the road. How many of those do you see with Ohio State? So let's talk about schedule here. Quickly, to remind you, the way that we do schedule here is we don't give you just a win-loss, win-loss. We don't project your win-loss record that way. What we like to do is we like to give a toughness rating, 1 to 10, for every single game that you play. And so for Ohio State's eight-game schedule this year, Colin's showing it to you right now if you're watching on YouTube, they've got no games that we rated a 10, even the Michigan game, even the trip to Penn State, we rated a 9. Now, that one could border on a 10, but we rated it a 9. But they, as you, as you see there, we do have two games rated eight or nine. There are three games rated in the six to seven range, and then they got three, three out of eight. Nearly half the schedule is rated five or less. Our best, worst, and most likely record scenarios from our computer model per 1,000 season simulations, best case and most likely are the exact same. Our model likes the best case to be eight and no. Our model also thinks the most likely path for Ohio State is eight and no. And the worst case is six and two. What a life to be living in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, my official pick here, I'm going to roll right with our computer model. I'm saying eight and no for Ohio State in the regular season. Next up, let's go to Happy Valley, shall we? Penn State grand season preview. This, for my money, is the most intriguing team in the Big Ten right now. This is one where I see shades of Clemson. I think a lot of people uh, make that a lazy comparison. I don't think it's lazy at all. I'm not Notice I'm not comparing them in terms of personnel or coach or anything like that. I'm not comparing them shot for shot to Clemson. What I'm saying is this is a program, one of a few in America right now, that have that possibility to slowly yet all of a sudden pop on the national championship scene. That's what Clemson did. Clemson thought they were there, then they weren't there, and then they are working towards it, working towards it. They're a nice, solid ACC team. Boom, Deshaun Watson, they're in the national title game. Boom, they win one. A couple of years later, boom, they win another one. Recruiting spikes. And so you were kind of sitting around. If you're not a diehard day-to-day Clemson fan, you're saying, man, they kind of came out of nowhere. No, they didn't come out of nowhere. They were steadily building. The root system was taking place. Well, now Clemson is a finished product. They're in the thing every year. Penn State's not there yet. But what could be happening at Penn State right now is the same thing that was happening at Clemson, let's say uh, 2012 or 13 or 14. What they got is a generational quarterback. His name was Deshaun Watson. I don't know that Sean Clifford meets that criteria, but we'll see what the future holds. We're talking about 2020 right now, though. Areas of focus for Penn State. We got new offense. We got a new offensive coordinator in Kurt Shiraka. What is the potential? What's the ceiling there? You got excellent running backs. You got Kane and Ford, even with Journey Brown out. You got a couple of, at least a couple. I like the depth overall of the position at the running back spot. They could be excellent on the offensive line. Uh, you've got experience and, and reasonable talent at the quarterback position in Sean Clifford. Plus, and this is kind of a tie-in, it's kind of a dual number one point, there's no reason why they can't be the best defense in the Big Ten. There's nothing keeping them from that. Uh, there are question marks, but there are question marks with everyone. But I will tell you this, I know Micah Parsons opting out and not opting back in. He's getting a lot of the headlines. But look elsewhere. Like They got a couple of really talented guys at the end spots on defense. I like their interior defensive linemen. Also, they've got talent and experience in the secondary. Like Linebacker is obviously a work in progress, but when's the last time a college team entered a season anywhere and you said, no questions on that team. 
The question marks for this Penn State defense, I think, are written in, in much lighter pencil than some of the red Sharpie question marks that exist across the landscape of maybe the rest of the Big Ten and a lot of college football. Let's talk about questions with Penn State. What can they get out of the wide receiver position? We were talking about new offense. We're talking about philosophy. Well, what can they get there? Because they're excellent at tight end, and everyone knows that. They're all-American caliber at tight end. But, you know, Dotson at receiver is a guy they, they're pretty sure they can depend on. Dotson and who? Hoomst, as I like to say. Dotson and Hoomst. They had 200-plus passing yards in just three games last year. That is inexplicably bad in modern-day college football. It just has to be better. It has to be. I have a little excitement about Parker Washington. There have been a lot of whispers about him out of practice up there, so I'm excited to see him. And then the second part and the biggest question that I have for them is, can the good units on this team, and there are a few of them, can any of them be dominant? Will we watch Penn State at any point this year and say, they have a dominant fill-in-the-blank? Or is it just going to be, oh, they're a lot of solid. You know, you, you pat them on the head, really solid. This is a, a top 12, top 13 team, but they're probably not going to contend for anything. Well, you got a, I mean, you got a running back stable, even, again, without Journey Brown, that could take that step to be able to carry a team. You've got guys like Owe, for example, at defensive end. Like, do they turn that presence into a dominant presence? Uh, Fryermuth at tight end, I think, would be the most likely to preseason qualify for that caliber of player. Colin, let's take a look at the Penn State schedule. As I told you with the Ohio State preview, every game gets a toughness rating. We aggregate and per 1,000 simulations of a season from our computer model, we want to know what you are most likely to go. So as you see, Penn State is, does not have an easy schedule. It's not the toughest thing in the world, but they have a 10-rated game. Naturally, Ohio State cannot play themselves. So Ohio State gets to duck the biggest hurdle in the conference because they practice against each other but never have to play each other. Penn State has a game rated 10. Penn State has one game rated 9. That's the game at Michigan, a little past the midway point in the season. They play four games rated 6 or 7, and they play two games rated 5 or less. Best case, worst case, and most likely, our computer model per 1,000 simulations likes 7 and 1 as the ceiling for this Penn State team. 4 and 4, the worst case. Keep in mind, worst case means a bunch of injuries, uh, a bunch of turnover disaster games, like the worst of the worst case, four and four. But our most likely for Penn State was six and two. And I think it ended up being right at six and a half wins, and I rounded down to six and two, only because in a COVID year, I tend to round down for everyone. So there you go with Penn State. Now, I can tell you right now, that, that is a team. It wouldn't shock me. I know we put seven and one as the best case. If they're sitting there seven and one, that's an interesting story, especially for like 2021 and beyond, because they're already there. They're on the doorstep. All right, the, uh, the third and final one we're going to do on the show here tonight before we move on to several other game predictions for the week and our best bets, the Michigan Grand Season Preview. You could look at this one of two ways. I know I got a bunch of Michigan buddies, one in particular who is selling me hardcore on 2021 Michigan. And I keep saying, what about 2020? And he keeps saying, oh, it is what it is. I got some other Michigan buddies who have no interest in talking about 2021. They want to talk about 2020. Uh, their reasoning, and I'm not so sure I don't agree with this more, is this is Michigan. This is not uh, some program where, you know, we every now and then recruit a class inside the top 50 and, uh, you know, kind of like a nice little regional startup brand of a program. This is Michigan, man. We don't take years off. 
And so we need to taste it right now. Then we'll worry about 2021. I think that's fair. I think it's more than fair. I think Jim Harbaugh would like you to fall into the latter category, but I think that's more than fair. So let's talk about some areas of focus here. By 10 miles, the biggest area of focus is one Joseph Milton. Friends call him Joe. Joe Milton is starting at quarterback. I guess this hasn't been officially announced. He's the starting quarterback for Michigan. Now, camp whispers can build you up for a major letdown. So I just want to caution you, sometimes camp whispers can break your heart come regular season. Other times, camp whispers are totally validated. I'll give you two very extreme examples. Joe Milton, what have we heard? Uh, we've heard, who was it? It was P.J. Fleck. They play Minnesota in week one. P.J. Fleck said, oh, Joe Milton, once in a decade type talent. You hear a whisper, this guy reminds me of Cam Newton. This guy's got a cannon for an arm. My goodness. I mean, he's so good that he ran poor McCaffrey out of here. He entered himself into the transfer portal as soon as he saw Joe Milton throw a football. All righty, well, I'm just telling you, a lot of folks just heard this kind of stuff, very similar, at Georgia with Dewan Mathis. Now, on this show, we tempered that. What we told you was, we're hearing Dewan Mathis is going to start. What we didn't say is, he's going to start and hang half a hundred on Arkansas. I was in the remains to be seen camp there, just like I am with Joe Milton, because I hear all the whispers. No one hopes it's true more than me. I would love for Michigan to hit a home run at quarterback. Barton put out a really good piece today about how at one point in Jim Harbaugh's career, he had never missed at quarterback. And now all of a sudden, kind of a little mini drought he's on there. I would love for it to work out. Has it worked out before? Have all of those camp whispers been validated? Yeah, you don't have to go back very far. Remember this time last year, there was a guy at LSU named Joe Burrow who had done nothing special the prior season. And then all of a sudden, everyone says, hey, uh, you know that quarterback that wasn't all that great last year? We're going to light the world on fire with him this year. Well, they did. So sometimes camp whispers are validated. That's an area of focus, the biggest with Michigan. Number two, team speed and athleticism. It's always what I watch with them. It's where they have been lacking. Um, you know, they, they lose some big-time names at receiver. Donovan, Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, Nico Collins, for example, opted out. And there are not a lot of names that you probably know, household names, at receiver. But I'll tell you what they do have. They've got a lot of right now anonymous names that I think give them a lot more speed and speed being the premier factor that I'm looking for from them and Josh Gaddis is probably looking for than they had last year. What they do with it remains to be seen, but that excites me a little bit. And then you look at defensive back play. How fast are they? When, when they faced Ohio State, when they faced Alabama last year, the difference was pretty glaring. So they got to catch up. Speed, speed, speed. They got to catch up in that department. Biggest questions here quickly. Is the passing game evolving here? I hear about that rocket of an arm with Joe Milton. I see what has and hasn't worked. I see what the big boys do that Michigan hasn't been able to do. I mean, if you're going to use Alabama as the standard, their personnel keeps changing, and yet they keep doing the same thing. They just lost Tonga Vailoa and a couple of first-round receivers, and yet there they are doing it again. Now, yeah, that's talent. I mean, they got a whole lot of it down there, but that's what you're looking to build. You're looking to build a system that makes any player of the talent caliber necessary to you know, carry it out. Any player shines in it. That's what you're looking to build there. That's why Josh Gaddis is one of the most important people in college football this year and beyond. Second thing, how many games in an eight-game season will Michigan lack the quarterback edge in? Because since quarterback is right now still an unknown, how many games will they lack the quarterback edge in? Let me just read some names here. Tanner Morgan, that's who they play in the opener against Minnesota. 
Who's going to have the better quarterback in that game, do you think? Sean Clifford, when they play Penn State, who's got the better quarterback there? What about uh, Michael Phoenix in Indiana? Lesser-known name. Big Ten folks know him. Justin Fields, of course, is a household name up there. Graham Mertz, new starter at Wisconsin. As we look back on the season come December, how many games do we look at with revisionist eyeballs and say, Michigan had the quarterback edge in that game versus how many would you say right now? So those are the questions. Now let's talk about the schedule. We toughness rate every game, 1 to 10, and we want to know how you're going to go per 1,000 season simulations. And if you wonder why I keep repeating that, it's because we're going to cut these videos for individual use. Therefore, some people will only watch this video and have not heard what I said the uh, previous two predictions. So Michigan's got one game that we rate a 10. It's the obvious. At the end of the season, trip to the horseshoe against Ohio State. They got two games rated 8 or 9, three more rated 6 or 7. This is one of the tougher schedules in the Big Ten, got to be honest with you. And then they got two games rated 5 or less. Our best case, worst case, and most likely for Michigan our record scenarios that our computer model spat out. Seven and one is the best case. All the way down at three and five was the worst case. A little bit wider variance here with Michigan than we've had with most teams in the Big Ten. Their most likely was five and three. And I toyed with the idea of going six and two. I ended up sticking at five and three as our most likely, as the most likely. So I agree with our model, in other words. I'm going five and three as the most likely path for Michigan in 2020. We got more spotlight games to talk about. We got best bets to hand out, so let's keep it moving here. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Speaking of the Wolverines, they are at Minnesota. This is the game of the week for me. I know it's a little bit lighter slate this week, but this one, it's, it's very intriguing from a national perspective even. Very intriguing. It's the 7.30 kickoff Eastern time on ABC. Joe Milton, like I told you in the Michigan preview, P.J. Fleck doing exactly at Minnesota what I would do. He's finding the nearest microphone, and he is saying things like, Joe Milton is a once-in-a-decade quarterback. Therefore, if he beats you, no big deal. And if you beat him, we just slayed the giant, baby. So, same thing in play here. Been talking about it all offseason, same thing in play here. Um, as much as there's some turnover with Michigan, as much as you got four new offensive, you know the talking points, four new offensive linemen, a couple of new wide receivers you got to replace, and the quarterback situation, well, they also got some overturn and some churn, if you will, on the staff, at least, at Minnesota. Chirac is out. Mike Stanford's in. Comes in from Utah State. What are they offensively in week one? Um, I think that Minnesota is extremely vulnerable in the secondary early in the season. So what is Michigan typically? Well, they're not a bomb away on your offense typically. If there's going to be a philosophical change, then I think it needs to be 
fairly evident, like the snap of a finger, fairly quickly in this game, week one. Waste no time. If Joe Milton has that arm talent, if you are truly faster at receiver, if you're Josh Gaddis and you want to show it off, show it off in week one. I think they're going to. I think Michigan will make a surprising number of plays, explosive in nature, down the field, and I think they're going to end up winning this game, and I think Michigan's also going to end up covering in this game. So give me the Wolverines in week one. A game you could also argue as deserving of game of the week status. My Iowa State Cyclones, bias alert, are on the road at Oklahoma State. Cowboys a three-and-a-half-point favorite. This is a mid-noon or mid-afternoon kickoff, 3.30 Eastern time on Fox. Now, Oh, Oklahoma State, have you even seen them? They're on milk cartons lately. They haven't played in like three weeks. I don't like that. We wondered at the beginning of the season, for these teams who have to take a break due to COVID in the middle of the year, is added rest going to be a benefit for them? Well, so far it's been the opposite. Granted, the sample size is limited. I haven't liked teams getting a whole lot of rest. One week, okay. A couple of weeks or even further than that, don't like it. I remember this game last year. I think I watched every down of it. There were two screen passes that just killed us. Hashtag we, Iowa State. Uh, let's not allow that this year. Now, I'm counting on Iowa State doing something in this game that I think people would expect from Oklahoma State, and that's having a heck of a day on the ground. This is a good Oklahoma State defense. I think that the running game for Iowa State will be able to get the job done enough to not only cover that three-and-a-half-point spread, but I think the Cyclones win outright. And you may say, Josh, you're biased. Sure am. Moving on, Penn State is a five-point favorite at Indiana. Uh, there's a lot of intrigue. I know that this does not qualify as Super Bowl status or anything like that. There's a lot of intrigue. You hear what I said? I did not say Penn State is a 16 or 15-point favorite. I said five or six, depending on where you look. So this is a mid-noon, mid-afternoon, keep saying that, mid-afternoon kickoff on FS1. Penn State's questions, every question surrounding this program, I've listened all week diligently, are being shouted into a megaphone. Uh, you got the offensive questions. We just talked about a lot of this with the new offensive coordinator. Micah Parsons opted out on you. Uh, Journey Brown, running back, he may be done for the entire year. And you got Ohio State coming up next week. Hidden in all this is the fact that I think Penn State enjoys a pretty sizable line of scrimmage mismatch both sides in this game. And I also think they possess the ability to really control the game on the ground in the latter stages. So not only do we like Penn State to win here, we like Penn State to cover. This looks like a sucker bet. I know it does. We're fine with it. Our numbers like Penn State, we will gladly take Penn State to win and we will take them to cover. <laughs> Much to the delight of the league office because I don't necessarily think you want an 0-1 Penn State team in that Week 2 matchup against Ohio State. Speaking of the Buckeyes, not a lot to talk about in terms of who's going to win this game against Nebraska. Buckeyes a 26-point favorite. This is the Saturday noon Eastern time kickoff on Big Fox. Our numbers scream Ohio State to cover. They just scream Ohio State to cover. In fact, our computer model spits out a cover probability. Ohio State is in the 70s this week as cover probability. Now, granted, sometimes when you have week one, uh, there are just flaws in the system. It hasn't been calibrated properly. But even so, it's rare to see a 70%. But uh, Bud Elliott and I were talking about this earlier. When you have any kind of model, any kind of system that spits out a number like that, 
you just take it for granted that there must be something in the market that you're not seeing, that your numbers aren't picking up on. You'd almost rather it be 60% instead of 70%. We bet 60% games all the time. When it gets up to 70%, I say, no, no, there is no 70% edge in the betting world. It just doesn't exist. I don't care what in the world you're doing. If you're betting on stuff this high profile, there is no 70% edge. So having said that, the secondary is something I think bears close watching in this game and that spread. So let's talk about it within the context of that number. Ohio State minus 26. I've had a lot of you text me and ask me if that's free money. Doesn't exist, friends. Doesn't exist. However, here's the thinking. If, the, if they're up 52 to 10, then it's not a big deal. Of course, they're going to cover. But I'll tell you what, what also could be the deal in this game. More like a 45-21, where there's some, a lot of backdoor potential for Nebraska because you've got a secondary still trying to find its sea legs for Ohio State. And you got Nebraska, who you know good and well is going to throw the ball until the very end, trying to find themselves. And so you have a comfortable win that all of a sudden gets inside that 26-point margin. Now, I'm going to take Ohio State to win. I'm going to take them to cover. I'm just not rolling with it in an official capacity. So we're not putting anything on that aside from our stamp in this here game preview. Now, before we go, let's talk about the Ramen Noodle Express. We are 56% against the number so far this year. Love it. If we could do that for the rest of time, we would do that for the rest of time. We've already given out, I think, three, Colin. I think we already gave out three this week. A couple of them were on Twitter, gave out one more on the show. I'm about to give you our final two. But my fair warning to you, I don't think this will be it for us. So make sure you follow us on Twitter, at LateKickJosh because I think I got some more coming. I got two numbers right now. I know if they were to move another half point, I'd be ready to give to you. So let's show it to him, Colin. Iowa State was our first bet. I, listen, I'm playing around with you about the bias. If you think for a second I'm allowing favoritism to work their way in here, well, I should probably remind you we bet TCU against Iowa State a couple of weeks ago. So let's shoot that down. Iowa State plus three and a half against Oklahoma State. We are taking Missouri to win the game. So we would love them, plus five against Kentucky. We are taking Cincinnati. They didn't cancel their game on us this week. We're taking them plus three on the road at SMU. These are the numbers we got these games at, by the way. Penn State, we are not only liking them, we're going to lay the points officially. This is a huge... In fact, that Cincinnati and Penn State bet are two of what you would probably call the bigger sucker bets on the board this week. Love them both. Our, models, our model loves them both. So I couldn't care less if 100% of the public is with us. Congratulations to the public is what I have to say. Penn State minus five and a half. Make sure you get it below six. And Kansas State, I went back and forth on this one. I told, uh, told some of our guys I wasn't going to take it earlier in the week. Nope, we're going to take it. Can't deny what our numbers say. Kansas State minus 20. So in summary, in conclusion, if you're listening instead of watching, Iowa State plus three and a half, Missouri plus five, Cincinnati plus three, Penn State minus five and a half, and Kansas State rivalry game minus 20 against Kansas. And follow me on Twitter for more at LateKickJosh. All right, we have got to get out of here. Uh, we got, I think, a sneaky good weekend this week. Regardless of what happens, we'll be here Sunday night to break it all down. Same time, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Now make sure, if you haven't already, subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. For Director Colin, for the podcasters over here, kind of figuratively in this corner, there's Tani, and there's Jordan over there. I'm Josh Payton. I just sit here every time and talk until I can't talk anymore. Thank you so much for watching. Have yourselves a great weekend. Enjoy the games. We'll see you back here Sunday, and God bless.